Brett, sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Look out. There's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a paleontologist, and I love films. As Jose N. Harris once said, tears shed for another person are not a sign of weakness, they're a sign of a pure heart. And if another person in real life doesn't make you cry, try watching the film All of Us Strangers. It's fucking beautiful. If you're not a wreck seeing that, you're probably a sociopath. So good luck finding out. Every week, I invite a special guest over. I tell them they've died. Then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Barry Jenkins, Sharon Stone, Jamila Jamil, and even Cled Blambles. But this week, it's the brilliant comedian, writer, and actor, Joel Kim Booster. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you get extra chat, you get a secret from Joel, you get us talking about the beginnings and endings of film, you get the whole episode uncut and ad-free and as a video. Check all of that out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. Also, I have extended my American stand-up tour, so if you're in America and you're in a place, I'm probably playing it. Look it up on the internet, come and see me, we'll have a ride old time. So, Joel Kim Booster is a brilliant stand-up, movie star and writer. He wrote the brilliant film Fire Island, He's very good at every single thing he does. You know him, you love him. We've recorded this on Zoom very recently. He's got a new show coming out, which we talk about on the podcast. I really think you're going to enjoy this one. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 282 of Films to be Buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by an actor, a writer, a producer, a podcaster, a stand-up comedian, an award winner, a legend, a hero, a looter, a fire islander, a big mouther, a everything. There's nothing he can't do. 
Here he is. I can't believe he's here. Can you believe he's here? He is. So get used to it. Here he is. He's here right now. It's Mr. Joel Kim Booster. Oh, wow. What an intro. I don't, you know, people always say this when they're being introed on podcasts, but I don't think I've ever had a better one. Um, uh, I did get a little frightened. I didn't mm-hmm. realize what you were what you were going with, but when you said he's a looter, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God. I was like, what did I get caught on camera doing? <laughs> How does he know? Let's talk about January 6th. Let's yeah, talk exactly. about it. <laughs> <laughs> but then I caught on. Um, so it's been good. I'm so happy to be here. It's lovely to see you. I, I will say right off the bat though, I so I have had the flu all week and I had the best of intentions of like coming in here like super prepped with an answer, like with a, a really thought out answer for every one of the movies. But aside from listening to a bunch of episodes of your podcast, I did none of that work. So a lot of these answers will be fully off the top of my head and That's just fantastic. by instinct alone. So if you're listening to this and you have or worked on one of the movies or love one of the movies that I talk about here, please know that it is just my gut, going with my gut here for every answer. I love it. What I will say is, if you choose to do it this way, and some people do, it's brilliant. It'll be brilliant. But in four days, I guarantee you're going to text me. Oh my God, oh, why yeah. didn't I say yeah, this absolutely. film? I know. People are going to think I don't know about that film. <laughs> How are you? What are you doing? Have you been doing more loot? What are you doing? Where are you? What's happening in your life? Uh, we finished with Loot before the break. Obviously, we only I only have like five days left to shoot on it after mm-hmm. post-strike because we got most of it done at the beginning of last year. And then uh, the strike, of course, uh, had other plans. But no, I mean, let, let's see what did I, I do. I was in uh, Mexico City for New Year's, had a friend's wedding there, yeah. spent New Year's there. Incredible city, a beautiful city, like one of the most uh, beautiful North American cities I've ever been to. Um, yeah. Just like truly remarkable in every way, food, culture, shopping, you know, just like the the aesthetic of the city itself is so beautiful and wild and urban at the same time. It's really, really great. And then this is sort of, I think I was telling you before we got on, this is kind of the first thing I've done, I've had to do since getting back. I went to the Creative Arts Emmys, the Schmemmys, over the weekend. <laughs> got the flu. How was it? Oh, you got the flu at the Emmys? Yeah, I, well, I, that's, Emmy where, that's where we think we, oh. where we think I got it. Yeah, it was interesting. It was interesting to be at the non-televised Emmys mm. and just like the different vibe. Is it wilder? Yeah, it's the wild, wild west compared to the televised Emmys. You know, no, yeah. everybody knows that there aren't really cameras on them for this one. And so everyone's sort of letting loose in a way they wouldn't normally. Um, not really, obviously. <laughs> I will say it was funny. They gave, you know, the creative arts Emmys, I'm so glad that they exist to honor people in departments that don't normally get honored at award shows, mm-hmm. or you at least don't see them televised at all. But then they proceeded to give every like costume designer like roughly 25 seconds to speak mm-hmm. um, right. before they started playing them off. And so it felt sort of like a double, I yeah. don't know, insult to injury sort of yeah. situation where they're like, we're not going to put you on TV. And also for this this event that could technically go as long as we wanted it to be. We're, yeah. we're only giving you 20 seconds before we play you off. We're here to honor you. We don't want to see you and we don't want to hear you, but we're here to yeah, honor you. Yeah, which ultimately, like, you know, after I've been gay for most of my life, and I obviously have seen a lot of acceptance speeches because of that. And honest, at this point, I would like to hear <laughs> what the production designer for The Last of Us has to say over, yeah. you know, I don't need to hear Laura Linney give another speech. I love right. her, but... You know, yeah. let me hear what the ladies who costumed 
beef have to say, you know? <laughs> yeah. You made the film Fire Island, which is yes, excellent. Sir. Are you going to do more films? Right. Have you got more films that you have written? Yeah, actually. So I am working on my next one right now. And it is technically sold to a place, a studio. And we're working on whether or not it's actually going to happen. You know, that arduous process right now. And I'm excited about it. It's a... This one's a wedding comedy. Um, And so it's it's actually much smaller in scope than Fire Island. But what I hope to do... Because, you know, everybody is at my ass about, you know, oh, is there going to be a Fire Island sequel? Which I think people think they want um, mm. because they, I, you know, and I'm so appreciative of it because it means they like the first movie, the Fire Island in general. But I don't think you can name a lot of great comedy, comedy sequels. sequels. You know, like when I think of comedy sequels, other than the, I, I can think of one That's good one, one uh, standout one. But I, I, I tend to think of like Miss Congeniality 2 or Legally Blonde Legally 2, Blonde 2. Red, White, and Blonde. Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. You know, that that could be an, a, a, an example of a good one. I think they work better when they're sort of cartoons to begin with. Yeah, yeah. You know, like they're not, like Austin Powers 2 is not necessarily concerned with continuity with its <laughs> yeah. other movies, you know? Like yeah, yeah. that's not the kind of movie it is. And so I think when you can be a movie that sort of exists outside of continuity, it's a little bit easier. And I think most of the, but like in terms of like grounded comedies, mm. it's really hard to jump back into those worlds. Like the one, the one that I can think of that is really good, that surpasses the original maybe, is Sister Act 2. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess because I was just thinking about like Bridget Jones's Diary, which is also a take on Pride and Prejudice. On Pride and like Prejudice, yeah. Fire Island. And the, I guess the issue with a sequel is you sort of have to break everyone up again. And sort yeah. Of, and we like yeah. them being together. It is tricky. Yeah. I've always said that like if I, if I ever had like an amazing idea for this story for a sequel, then I would consider it. But I'm not going to... You know, because like Fox Searchlight and Hulu, they were down. They were like asking me about sequel stuff when the movie first came out. And I was like, well, I'm not going to reverse engineer it. I'm not going to be like, okay, I have to write a sequel. What should it be? You know, like if I come up Mm. with what it should be, then I will write the sequel. But I think what I ultimately hope to do that I think will scratch a lot of people's that itch for a lot of people is I'm just going to keep casting the same people in my Oh, yeah, that's great. Have a little. That's the way to have a like troop. Yeah, like I, you know, Christopher Guest did it. And I think like nobody yeah. needs a sequel to Best in Show, but we have, you know, for your consideration and Guffman and all these other movies and A Mighty Wind, where we get to hang out with essentially the same people. That's right. Again, and I think that's what people were drawn to about Fire Island. And I think like the chemistry of those characters and us as mm. real life friends and actors, like I think that's what people really um, appreciated about that movie. Yeah. And I think I can better honor that by just making better, like continuing to make new movies, new stories, and just reusing the same people that I love to work with so much. And That's fucking smart. That is smart. Yeah. I really like Fire Island and I really like respected how, I hate to use this word, but I'm going to use it. Raunchy. Uh-oh. It was raunchy. Yeah. It was yeah. a right old raunchy film. That's so rare. I, I'm really interested in how rare sort of sex stuff is in mainstream cinema and i wondered if that was something you had to fight for or if everyone was on board from the beginning or it was a problem you know there were at least like two sex scenes cut out all right um but we're still the first orgy on disney plus internationally so you know i you you we lost some some battles but we we won the war i think we won the orgy (laughs) it is funny people have said this what you just said to me 
before. But I also get a lot of flack for it not being sexy enough, um, which is so funny to me. Like, for as much as my characters talk about sex in that movie, no one's fucking really um, out of the main cast. It is, like, periphery and, like, it's, like, little hookups here and there. So, yeah, I hope to to include even more explicit X-rated red band sex in my next movie. Yeah! Last place I saw you was at Largo, where it was your excellent stand-up show. You did 45 minutes, which you said was new, but it was so good. I was like, this can't be new. It's too good. But are you going on tour? Are you doing a new tour? Yeah, I just did a show in Seattle um, last weekend. And I'm going to San Francisco next weekend. And doing a lot of like, I'm doing like a little mini Pacific Northwest tour in February. Or I'll probably hit like Portland and Vancouver and just trying to hit all of the Pacific Northwest really for now. And then, yeah, it really depends on what happens with this movie, I guess. It it sort of shapes the rest of my year as a stand-up. That's like the most frustrating thing. And I'm sure you understand is that like I came up as a stand-up and that's all I ever did. And then the more successful I became as a stand-up, the less I'm able to do stand-up, which is the funny sort of catch of being successful in this industry is... You come up as a stand-up and then suddenly as soon as you hit a certain level of success, everybody asks you to do everything but stand-up. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm really grateful for all of the work outside of stand-up that I'm able to do. I love to write. I love to act. And those other things, unfortunately, happen to pay a lot more than stand-up traditionally does. So, yeah, I it, it is funny. But I, I, I will continue to do stand-up until I have nothing left to say, I guess. Mm. But for now, it's it's uh it's definitely like sort of a privilege to find time in my schedule to be able to do it. I don't think you're ever going to run out of things to say. I keep thinking about this. I, this is um, Billy Joel, right? The greatest Billy Joel. Mm-hmm. He wrote a song called "Famous Last Words" on his River of Dreams album, which is the last song. And in in "Famous Last Words," he says, "These are the last words I have to say." And then ever since, he's only written classical music he hasn't written a new song with lyrics since and that was like 20 years ago or something and i'm like you really you didn't have anything else to say i don't believe you i i wonder if he regrets that now like i wonder if part of him is like i do have a couple songs but yeah i always think i bet you guys fuck i shouldn't have said that i said the thing so put the nail in the coffin prematurely and he's a man of his word and i respect it yeah i don't know though because here's the thing like i i will say this like it's already the way my life has shifted in the last five or so years. It's already become harder to find things to talk about that I think will be universal or relatable, you yeah. know? Cause like the more, like when I was coming up in New York and I was working 50 hours a week and then going to open mics at night and like I had a, a regular desk job, I was paying rent, I was miserable, I was broke, you know, I was desperate. And like, th- those were the golden years for me in terms of joke writing. Like, I-, yeah. I think like all my best jokes came from that period of my life. And now that I'm like comfortable and <laughs> not fighting for my life every day and don't have a regular job anymore, like I, I can feel sort of the zone of interest sort of shrieking and shrinking um, around yeah. the kinds of things that I want to talk about. Um, and I just don't like you see you do see some of these uber wealthy comics get to a certain point where it's like, oh, you're not even dealing with regular human beings anymore. Like you yeah. you obviously don't have anything pertinent to say to speak to the average person's, you know, life experience anymore. And I don't want to be one of those comics. Like I actually mm-hmm. do want to, I want to pull a Billy Joel and be like, okay, 
I think I've 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 got it. I've I've reached that point. I'm too rich. I'm too successful. I'm too comfortable to have anything interesting to say anymore. And I'm just going to enjoy that. I'm going to enjoy my my time and my money and my yeah. my comfort instead of trying to pretend like I have any basic understanding of the suffering that's going on in this country anymore. Hello, Billy Joe. Yeah, I love it. Joking booster. I've forgotten to tell you something. It's really annoying because I should have told you at the beginning of the of the podcast. Oh fuck! And I I should have told you when I logged on. I'm so sorry. I just have to say it because otherwise it's going to be awkward. You've died. You're dead. No. Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. It is sad. It is sad. I had so much how, left to do. I know you hadn't pulled your Billy Joe yet. Yeah. How did you die? Um, I died in. It was a car accident, and I was. And an Uber. I wasn't even driving. It was oh. an Uber pool. I was. We weren't even on the way to my destination. We were on the way to someone else's destination. Yeah. And I bet you still gave five stars. Oh, always, always. Yeah. <laughs> How many in the car? Uh, it was packed to the gills. There were four of us. Four passengers. Four passengers in a in a Corolla. Did it happen quick or? Oh uh, no, it was painful and it was long. And I, I had to wait for two other people to die before I was allowed to die. Oh my God. Yeah, it that's, was terrible. The queue. That's terrible. Do you worry about death? I worry about death constantly. Yeah. And it's weird. In So I, I've been dating my boyfriend for coming up on three years now. And it's weird when you are in love with someone how I, I've always, I'm, I've been so death neurotic my entire life. Like since I was a child, I think about my own death constantly. And that, but like in the last couple of years, it has shifted entirely to me thinking about his death constantly mm. and like worrying about like, that's love. That's losing love. him. And like, yeah, it is. It's so yeah. morbid, but it is, it is a sign for me that I am deeply, truly in love with this person is because yeah. I, I am thinking so much more about his death than mine. Um, and I, it's like bad because I was, I, I'm always like, I don't, should I be putting this out into the universe? Like this energy? <laughs> no, this is safe. This is keeping it safe. Yeah. But yeah, no, I like, I could make myself cry in front of you today if I thought about him dying, which I do constantly. I am like, I'll like sit, I'll wake up in bed and I'll like see him there sleeping and I'll just stare at him sleeping for like 20 minutes running through all the ways he could die that day. Uh, and then just weeping silently while I wait for him to wake up. And then he'll like oftentimes like wake up and be like, what is wrong with you? What's going on? What is this vibe I, that I'm waking up into? What's an average amount of ways you imagine him dying in a morning? Like, do you keep coming up with more and more obscure ways to die? Oh, more elaborate every time, more ridiculous every time. Like it, it is, it, there is no end to my creative imagination around the ways my boyfriend <laughs> could die or be maimed. <laughs> well, that seems like a good use of your time and brain. Yeah. I okay. get it. Do you then follow it through to like what you'd say at the funeral and things absolutely. like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I have a document on my Google Drive that is frequently updated with all the information for what I want to happen at my funeral. Tell me everything, please. Um, It's just like music choices, pallbearers, People I want to speak, people I want to perform and or sing and or read. What's the song as you as your coffin is brought in? So I want it all to be house music, like disco house music. Um, and I think it would fantastic. be sort of it would be sort of funny, sort of cringy, sort of corny, but so appropriate 
if they played Last Dance as they're bringing in Mike Hoffman. Uh, it's like a little too on the nose, but also because yeah. it was so prominently featured in my movie and it's one of my favorite songs of all time. I think that is like, that's sort of where we're at right now. But again, in a couple of years, that could change. There could be a more iconic song uh, that I would like associated with my death. But this is a fun thought exercise. Yeah. I like to stop sometimes and think like, if I were to get married today, who in my life would be in my wedding party? And it's a really clarifying thought exercise because it really makes you think of like the people not only that mm. you're close to that would want to do something like that, but like sort of the symbolism around the people that you choose. Like, who am I choosing today? And if you're already married and can't do this thought exercise, do the same thing, but with your pallbearers. If you were to die today, who would be carrying the casket? Really think about that. Great question. Yeah. And would it be the same people that you would have stand up for you in your wedding? That's another yeah. question. Because then with pallbearers, you have to think about you know, height differentials, who's strong enough to do it, mm. you know, all that. Are they the same people you would call to bring a shovel to meet you in the desert, you know? That's a really, actually, that's a wrinkle to the thought exercise I had never thought of before. It's definitely going to be added into yeah. my daily thought exercise now. Because it might not be. You might actually go like, I don't want to let those people know about what, what happened in the desert. No, absolutely. But, and like, honestly, I, they're, like, I was talking to my boyfriend about this recently where I was like, the person that I would have be my best man now isn't someone that I would consider necessarily even my best friend, but just like the person that I trust the most to be able to handle all of the, the bullshit jobs that go along with being best man. You yeah, know, surely it's like the best comedian, you know, that's your best. Yeah. Friend. Oh, absolutely. Who's going to give the best speech, but also be able to handle organizing a bachelor party and mm. like the duties of being a best man and all of that. Because it's not always, this, it doesn't always align the way you think it will. Mm. What do you think happens after you die? Think there's an afterlife? Oh, it's so tough because I grew up very, very Christian, very evangelical, right. very conservative. And so like, there's always this part of my brain that like, would love to believe that heaven and hell exist, but I don't. I don't think there is necessarily an afterlife. I do think that like, you know, it was funny. I, I once interviewed for a comedy show, this ghost debunker who like goes around and debunks ghosts and things like that. But his thing isn't that like, oh, it's the pipes or the electricity or whatever. His thing is that like, when something really ha awful happens surrounding your death, if it's like emotionally traumatic or or violent and full of hate, you know, as a lot of murders are or something, like that leaves an energetic imprint on the space. And so what people are experiencing is often not like someone's consciousness that is living on past death, but sort of like an echo or mm. like an imprint of energy that was left in that space when something really, really traumatic or violent happens. And like, I don't know, as a, I, that is sort of what I sort of buy, is that yeah. we might not live on, our consciousness is not, might not live on completely intact. Like I might not be a conscious ghost walking around being like, this is my unfinished business and I'm going to like observe everything that's going on. In the meantime, it might just be like a feedback loop of whatever emotion I was feeling surrounding my death and that mm. is like being played over and over again in this space. Because I've experienced things before in the past that I can't quite explain, you know, in, in quote unquote haunted spaces. And like, I'm hard pressed to believe that ghosts exist, but I do believe that like energy does affect spaces like that. Can you tell me one thing that happened in a haunted place? We were in the hotel where The Shining took place. Mm -hmm. um, and we were staying there. And we were staying in like specifically one of the rooms that on TripAdvisor was widely believed to be haunted. 
And again, this could be an electricity thing, but like you could just feel something in that room was off even before we knew that it was one of the haunted rooms. And I just remember like washing my face, turning off the light, going to bed, and then the full switch just flipping up and turning on. And it wasn't an electrical issue. It wasn't like the switch had always been up. And then like, I don't know, it was just like really weird. And you could just, and we never felt alone in that room. I love it. It was very, very creepy. And I remember going to the front desk and being like, room 13, like, no, oh, this is what we asked. We were like, oh, like this hotel isn't really haunted, is it? And he was like, no, no, of course not. Like the the night manager was like, that's ridiculous. Like this hotel isn't haunted. Well, unless you're talking about room 13, which is of <sighs> course the room we were staying in, you know? I don't remember oh, if it was room man. 13 or what number it was, but yeah. he, he just said verbatim our room. Wow. And I was like, oh, this is fucked. I love it. But again, really, really violent murder-suicide happened in that room. Yeah, it'd have to be. Yeah. Well, listen up. There's news. Okay. There is a heaven, after all. And you're in it. They're very excited to have you there. You get right in. They love you there. It's filled with your favorite thing. What's your favorite thing? Drugs. Okay, it's absolutely filled with drugs. They're in drugs. As far as it is like a candy shop for drugs. Drugs, you're sitting on drugs. There's so many drugs. And I'm already dead, so nothing bad can happen to me. Nothing bad can happen. There's, there's no come down. This is just all come up. The one downside to drugs, gone. Amazing. Oh, it's amazing. It's just like, and it's like pure shit. Like, this is good drugs. And everyone is very excited to see you, as they would be. They're all high. And they want to know about your life, but they want to know about your life through film. And the first thing amazing. these druggies want to know is, what is the first film you remember seeing? Joel Kim Booster. The first film, so there's a couple of answers to this, two answers to this. One answer is like the first movie I can like consciously remember watching a scene from, Mm -hmm. which is Beauty and the Beast, the Disney movie. One of the all-time greats. I remember specifically being terrified by the opening. Yeah, the prologue to that movie with the witch and everything like that. I remember being terrified by like the pane glass windows depicting what happened, what mm. went down. Um, so that's the first movie I can remember seeing. The first movie I remember seeing in theaters, that was The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. <laughs> Great film. And that, I think, is the first movie we saw in theaters that oh. I can remember. Do you remember thinking, I want in on this? Uh, I don't think so quite yet. Especially not with Beauty and the Beast, because I wasn't a moron. And I knew I couldn't be in that film because it was cartoons that were in that film. Well, you were very ahead of your time. I didn't understand about voice acting yet. Had no idea what went on to get those cartoons on the screen, but just knew it couldn't be me. And then I found Tim Allen to be pretty repulsive from the jump. Even as a child, I knew something was off there and I had no interest in being in sharing a space with him. Okay. Even as much as I love that film. It's a great film. What is the film that made you cry the most? Are you a crier? I am. I'm a big triumph crier. This is not my answer, but this is a good example of a film that a moment that I've cried in a movie that like this kind of moment will always get me. And that is um, when they save Matt Damon in The Martian, when it like, when the yeah. plan goes off without a hit. Like, like yeah. when that moment happens and like, they're all like, yes, we did it. Sob, full yes. sobbing in the theater. Cannot control myself. The movie that I've cried the hardest to, and it's because there's like a lot of contextual things that are surrounding that. A, I'd just been broken up with. B, I was on an airplane. C, it was the first time I'd ever seen this film when Harry met Sally. Uh, 
Oh, at the end. Lost my goddamn mind on that flight to the point where the woman sitting next to me was like, are you okay? Like, (laughs) it was so, it was such an awful time in my life romantically. And I I just remember like, I was flying to LA for a job, like my second writing job ever. And I was like, oh, I'll check out this When Harry Met Sally bullshit. I love Nora Ephron, whatever. And I just like could not compute the 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 romance and the happiness and the you know all of it um in the midst of my own heartbreak and and the altitude which i've heard i've i've since heard like maybe not might not be a thing as much as people say it is that like the altitude makes you cry easier then why is everyone crying in the why is i don't everyone know crying in but i just anecdotally will say i haven't cried that hard in a movie ever since mm. um so maybe it was all breakup but i do think it part of I, I'm going to blame the altitude on part of it. There has to be. I'm always crying on a plane. There has to be yeah, something yeah. in it. Drop of a hat. Uh, what what yeah. movie did I cry at that was like super embarrassing? I think it was like Bumblebee or like one of the Transformers oh, yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fully yeah. cried. I think like Pacific Rim 2, I, I got a little misty eyed, you know, like <laughs> there, there are certain movies that you only watch on planes and like yeah. I would only watch on a plane. And when those types of movies are getting me, I'm like, fuck the altitude. There's something here. What is the film that scared you the most? Do you like being scared? I do like being scared. I love horror movies. Right. There's, uh, again, like kind of two answers to this. The first movie that ever made me that I I remember being like, oh God, this is like really scary in a way that was like kind of unique for the time because we were coming out of torture porn era in around like 2007, 2008. And I hated, like when I was in high school in the early 2000s, like everything was about like, this is a horror movie where we watch a young model scream in pain and agony for um, 40 minutes while someone like cuts off their leg. Um, yes. And I fucking hated that shit so Me much. Too. I think Saw is like maybe gets a slight pass because there is interesting like narrative stuff going around it. But like Hostel, mm. I think like that is like peak that kind of movie that I yeah. fucking hated. And then as we were coming out of that era, though, there's a lot of interesting stuff coming out of your neck of the woods. And this movie, The Descent. Um, yes. Do you know this movie? I fucking love The Descent. I think it's a masterpiece. I fucking so love this good. movie. And it was a movie that like at the time I remember it taught me a lot of patience because it takes a while mm. to get to the scary parts of The Descent. It is like yeah. it's very like these women listening to Indigo Girls in a cabin, like yeah. about to girl boss their way through a cave. And you're like, okay, this seems fine. And then that's the second that fucking face creature yeah. pops up so behind that scary. woman. It's you're off to the races and it's so scary. And I remember it was like such a nice reprieve from the kind of horror movies that had been coming yeah. out that I had been seeing it at that time. And I fucking love that movie. I tell everyone to watch it. It's still, it holds up so well. So good. It was interesting, complicated characters, but like simple storytelling. You know, it really was just them trying to get out of that fucking cave. And he does a thing. I'm sure I've talked about this before, but I really, I'm like, why is that film so good? And it's one of the things he did is he doesn't cheat where the light comes from. There's no fake light in the whole film. So it's it's a flight. If they're holding a torch, that's the light. And if they're yeah. if it's the, the screen from their phone, that's the light. There's no like, where's this light coming from? Yeah, yeah, It's really exactly. fucking great. What is the film that you love? People don't really like it. The critics hate it, but you love it. This is one I actually did think about while I was listening to one of your episodes recently, because this is, I think, like, this is one of the marquee questions of your podcast, I think. Like, this is one that I think is really, really telling about where a person is in their life. 
Yeah. And for me, this movie is Jupiter Ascending. Amazing answer. The Wachowskis, like, they honestly, in my mind, they can't do any wrong. Because the thing is, is I would much rather a creator take a huge swing and Mm -hmm. miss and whiff the ball completely. Like, Mm -hmm. the ball is, like, in another county at this point. But they took, man, they make big fucking swings. And that movie is so fun and so dumb. And Eddie Redmayne is giving one of the most insane performances ever committed to film. And like the fact that people didn't see it, didn't appreciate it. Channing Tatum is a dog. Channing Tatum is a dog. Mila Kunis is queen of the bees. Is a, a fox. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can like, you do an impression of Eddie Redmayne in it? I can't now because I'm sick and I also don't want to blow out my microphone. But the way he unhinges his jaw to scream most of his lines is really amazing. Those little dragons with the little tiny wings that are the henchmen yeah. that are like, they never really explain where they came from, where they're going, what they're doing. Like, it, it's so much more than a bad Star Wars ripoff, but it is like in that realm for sure. And I, I just find their world building so funny and fascinating always and just goofy as hell. And yeah. the like, the rollerblading, uh, the anti-gravity rollerblades, like, it's just so fun and so visually fun and stupid and like, yeah, it's 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 a movie that I I have That's a lot a of trouble answer. convincing people to watch with me for sure. It's that is in the realm of Cloud Atlas, which I feel yeah, the same oh way yeah, Cloud Atlas is swinging swinging away. The the thing is about Cloud swinging. Atlas that's even more difficult though to get keep people on board with is that it is like a three hour long movie. Yes, and so when people when it has a bad rap as being a bad movie and it's three hours, it's like mm. really hard to convince people to go on that journey with you. Yeah. What, on the other hand, is a film that you used to love? You loved it, and then you've watched it recently, and you've gone, oh, no, I don't like this anymore. For whatever reason, that might be. Um, This is kind of a cheat, because I I haven't watched it all that recently. But for me, it is The Blind Side. (laughs) Um, I used to be such a staunch, like, defender of The Blind Side. I really did. Like, I was like, so, like, yes, Sandra Bullock deserved... For that fucking wig work that she did in that film. Um, <laughs> yes, it is a Lifetime movie. But it is so beautifully done. And I think the thing that you have to understand about me. Mm-hmm. Is I was sort of half kicked out of my home at 17. And moved out. And was taken in by another family. Mm. That like didn't really know who I was. And I was not gifted at football. That's where the story sort of diverged. But I was really drawn to this story of this like... You know, and I hate to say it because I said it so many times during the press tour for my movie, but chosen family. Like I was really Mm. drawn to this idea as like both an an adoptee, someone who lived with a different family than theirs for the latter half of high school and was like really loved and accepted by that family and found the support that they couldn't find at home in that family. Like I really loved this movie Mm. when I was in high school and early college. Now... Have I since sort of come to understand sort of a lot of the problematic nature of like the white savior narrative and also now the stuff that has come out recently with Michael Orr coming out and being like, it was not, you know, they like took advantage of me and it wasn't all like the movie portrayed it to be and all of this stuff. I have come around and been like, no, this movie is bad and um, it should be burned in a big bonfire. It's nice that you related to it. I like that. Yeah. And also, like, clearly, listen, I am the biggest Sandra Bullock stan. 
Like if I had to pick an actress and only watch their movies for the rest of my life, like Sandra Bullock would probably be at the top of my list, to be honest. But yeah, she didn't deserve it. She didn't deserve it. Not for that. I think it was... I do think she did deserve a career win. Like I think Mm. The Blind Side was rewarding her for an illustrious career where she gave us a lot, especially in movies that aren't Oscar bait. And yeah, so she did deserve it in that sense, but not for that role. But that happens a lot. That happens a lot. I think the Oscars often is giving an award for previous work that that was missed out on. Hello, my neighbor Maureen. What's this I hear about you getting a promotion at the office? Didn't you just get promoted last month? It's all thanks to Canva. I've been nailing every meeting with AI-powered Canva presentations. Isn't that Canva's AI slide generator where you just describe your presentation in a few words and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides in seconds? That's right. And to top it off, I use Magic Write, Canva's AI text generator, to perfect my points. Sounds brilliant, Maureen. No more copying and pasting from other programs. No more app switching. Can Canva Docs with Magic Write generate any text you want for work? Yes. Sales proposals, marketing plans, yeah. Meeting agendas, ratings of all 12 Muppet movies using the extensive point system that I developed at age 12. Anyone can save time with Canva's AI-powered tools. Generate your draft fast with Canva Docs at canva.com designed for work. Oh, thanks, my name, Maureen. Yeah, thank you. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees, every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. What is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film itself is good, but the experience you had watching it will always make it meaningful to you. Joel Kim Booster. This is probably this could probably be my answer for a lot of these questions, but for me it is my best friend's wedding. Yes. Um and it is if we were playing the newlywed game, okay. my boyfriend would accurately guess this as my favorite movie. And it's like such a you know, because that game. The idea of having a favorite movie is so silly and dumb. You know, like 
it's really hard to pinpoint. Like if you watch more than fucking, you know, 25 yeah. movies in your life, like it's so hard to pick a favorite one, you know? Cause like it, so much of it is like what your mood is and like what you're looking for and like genre dependent and all this stuff. But for me, I tell people if they really press me that this is my favorite movie because it does, it is the movie that I watch with people to sort of like check them a little bit. I remember watching this with my boyfriend and like it was one of the few, like one of the many cultural exchanges that we did where I was just sitting on the couch watching his reaction to all of these moments in the movie and making sure that, and I didn't tell him beforehand, but I think he instinctually knew. Like he needed to this love this movie test. for us to continue. And it's a movie that like has had this place in my life since I was like in middle school, basically. Um, I saw it way too young, well before I understood what was going on. And then throughout my life, like in high school and in college, in my early days in Chicago, in my early days in New York, like it is a movie that I re continually return to as like a way to connect with other people. Like this is the thing that I share mm. in terms of movies to connect with someone and to like sort of give them a peek at my brain and like the, the things that I like because it does have it has so much going for it. It is such a funny movie. It's a romantic movie. It's a beautifully shot movie. Incredible performances. Sort of the first time like a revolutionary move to make Julia Roberts the sneaky villain of the movie because yeah. she was America's sweetheart at this time. Yeah. It was really like this performance could only have been pulled off by Julia Roberts in that moment in history because you had to take yeah. someone who was literally beloved by every single person in America and the world and then make them do some of the most despicable things that uh, you could ever believe a person would do uh, in a romantic comedy and still have the audience like find a root for you throughout the most yeah. of it. Like it's, it's, a, it's a magic trick. And it's like, there's like, there's magical realism in it too. Like I love the singing at the fucking restaurant. Like when it, the movie decides to become a, a musical for a brief moment for no reason and it never pops up again. And it's like this <laughs> moment that is not like addressed by anybody else in the film as being weird. And I think also like written by a gay guy, obviously you can tell because the gay character in it, George, is so, it is for, especially for the time, mm. well rendered. And like, yes, it is tropey because he is the gay best friend, whatever. But gay best friends exist. That's so like, you know, like, and if you're going to have a gay best friend in a movie, this yeah. is this is a really good starting off blueprint for how to do it well. I think there's ways to push the form now. Mm -hmm. But this, especially for the time, I think was really revolutionary for the way that like it gave that character, that character had agency, that character is smart and funny and all of the things that you want to see in, in a gay best friend um, and not, necessarily all sort of by the book and the stereotype. Mm. So yeah, there's a lot of things I love about this movie and it is a movie that I will show people in my life to make sure that they're cool. It's the test. That is a fantastic, perfect answer. What is the film you most relate to? Oh, what if I said The Blind Side? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the film that I... I was I actually did think about this one a little bit because this mm -hmm. is a difficult one for sure. And there's some recency bias, I think, in my answer. And it's a little, it's a little odd, but like Past Lives was a movie that came out this year that I found myself really, really relating to on a lot of different odd levels, you know, because I think like, so I'm adopted, my parents are white. So I had very little contact with my culture or heritage growing up. And I think like, obviously this movie is so much about 
dysphoria uh, around surrounding your identity as a, as an Asian American and like having roots in a different country and then also be experiencing you know how you experience that when you're sort of drowning in whiteness surrounding you and also I have a white boyfriend as well who will never truly fulfill me on a, on a deep level because uh, he's white. Uh, <laughs> but he did like my best friend's wedding. So Yeah, no, true. But yeah, I just, I haven't watched a movie in a long time that didn't sort of beat for beat try to recreate my own life without like actually, like I have not experienced what this character has experienced, but I felt so deeply mm. sim- like a uh, kinship with this character. And also Return to Soul is another, talk about recency bias. Both of these movies came yeah. out this year and both of these movies sort of explore the experience. And Return to Soul, even more than Past Lives, is like really explicitly about an adopt- Korean adoptee returning to South Korea and not having like this life-changing, mm. like, e love, like, you know, full circle moment to their experience of that culture. And that I related to uh, wow. on, a, on a really deep level too, because I, I find that like people love to tell you like, just wait until you go back to Korea. It's going to change you. And like, maybe it will. I haven't done it yet. But watching right. this movie, I was sort of like, oh, finally, like a depiction of this experience that isn't about That's like, really oh, this, I feel complete now because I, yeah. I've touched down on my ancestral, ancestral homeland. You know, like it, it dealt with it in a way that felt real and complicated. And that is how I feel about my own adoption. And so those two movies, it's a tandem answer, definitely are, are movies that spoke to my experience in different ways um, that I really related to. And I'm really grateful to that they came out now at a time yeah. when like I'm able to process those stories in a way that is helpful to me. Mm. You you said you weren't prepared for this podcast. This has been <laughs> some of the most thought out, brilliant answers. This is like you said it was new material. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is what is the sexiest film you've ever seen? Joking booster. That's a tough one because like there's so many different layers to that question. Like you could mean like what? Oh, I mean, I guess for me, the sexiest movie that I've ever seen and sort of the pinnacle of of like sex in movies for me is Short Bus. Great film. By John Cameron Mitchell. I mm-hmm. like, I mean, famously, the sex in that movie is, a lot of it is not simulated. It is real. Yeah. Like when they're, go, when they're giving head, they're giving head. It's very Brown Bunny, Vincent Gallo, whatever. But like, for me, that movie treats sex as this like beautiful, funny, not, not all that sacred. Like it, it there is a, 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 like a sacred nature to sex, but it, it doesn't like, Treated as this like holy thing that like yeah. you know has to be special and like handled with kid gloves. Like it, a lot of the sex in that movie, and this is true to my own experience having sex, is very funny. You know, they're laughing. It is because like when you take away a lot of the bells and whistles to it, it's like you're fucking naked doing what? You yeah. did what with what? And put it where? You know, like it is so funny, and like especially the trappings around sex, the things we do to get sex are so funny. And I, I I love the exploration of that in that movie. And um, I just loved, for me, growing up very with in a, a very puritanical house, watching this movie in college. The, I, I'll never forget where I was when I first saw it. I was like, it was the summer between my freshman and sophomore year. And I was in a dorm because I was performing at a, a summer stock theater. And I remember watching this movie and, and it shaping me I mean, it's not only the sexiest movie that I think I've seen, but it, it is, it really did like shape a lot of my conceptions about sex in movies. Oh. 
and how it should be handled and not handled. And sort of the goal for me, if I ever, you know, continue to have sex in movies is, is to, you know, model it after the way John handled it in his film. Really good. There's a subcategory to this question. Traveling bone is worrying why don't. What's a film you found arousing that you weren't sure you should? This is going to be a little too revealing, and so I'm not going to elaborate too much on it. Okay. But um, Funny Games. Okay. That is a really good answer. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think I can I think, fill in the blanks. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, really good answer. Uh, what is objectively the greatest film of all time? Might not be your favorite, but it is the pinnacle of films. Yeah, I mean, this would have been an easy slot in for um, My Best Friend's Wedding as well, certainly. But I guess for me, I'm going to go with the other answer that I often have to this question, which is Wet Hot American Summer. Uh, <laughs> I think it's, I mean, for one, it's sort of, it's a nice catch-all because it is so many movies at yeah. once. Yeah. Um, there's so much going on in that movie. And again, talk about a movie that like shaped me. I, 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 I tell, I say this often. That the two movies that shaped my aesthetic and like my, you know, conception of, of what a comedy movie and a sex movie should be is Short Bus and Wet Hot American Summer. Mm. Those were the only two DVDs I owned um, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year. And I watched both those movies uh, like at least a couple times a week um, for like three months straight. And <laughs> and you put those movies together and that is exactly what I want to accomplish. But my uh, Wet Hot is like part of it for me is not even the product itself. But Wet Hot was also another movie where I watched the making of featurette for that movie over and over and over again. Mm. Because it really sold me on wanting to make movies. Because I was like, look at these people. They're all friends. You know, they the, they pulled from this like cadre of like comedians, UCB performers that all knew each other and all were in community together. And it so shows on yeah. in the final product, like how much fun they had making this and how like grungy it was to make. But at the same time, like because they were all friends and knew each other and peers that like it, it was okay. And like that was like, honestly, like I, I thought about it a lot while I was making Fire Island because I felt very similarly. Because like watching that feature at the making of Wet Hot featurette, like it made me want to make movies. And then the whole time I was making Fire Island, I was like, oh my God, I'm doing it. I'm making like sort of a small budget movie where the, the conditions are not always ideal, but I'm here with some of my best friends and people that like are, are people that I came up with. And yeah. it just it like, shows. it was such a nice full circle moment for me. And so that is why for me, because it made me want to make movies and got me really interested in making movies, uh, Wet Hot is... My answer. God damn. God damn, you're good at this. What <laughs> is the film you could or have watched the most over and over again? And it might be Short Bus. It might be Short Bus. Uh, it, yeah, definitely. It, it's probably Short Bus or What Hot. But I think um, outside of those movies, the one that I weirdly have watched the most is Rachel Getting Married. I fucking love that film. It's a great film. As an adult post-college, it is by far the movie that I've watched the most over yeah. and over again. Because for a couple of reasons, A, it's my um, writer's block movie. Mm. Like when I'm having writer's block writing anything creative, I will watch Rachel Getting Married. Because for me, it, it's like it's kind of like the platonic ideal of like mm. writing uh, like those types of movies, like movies that are plays 
but movies. Yeah, movies yeah, yeah, where yeah, people yeah. are talking, you know, because that is like really what I write and write well and want to write is um, movies where people are talking. Movies that could and should probably be plays. Yeah. You know, because dialogue is in and the the rhythm of, of conversation is is so much what I'm interested in as a writer or what got certainly got me interested in writing. And I think what I is probably one of my be- bigger strengths as a writer and Jonathan Dem just like does that in that movie mm. um, so well. And like great. It's uh, Anne Hathaway has like one of the greatest performances of her career, I think, in that yeah. film. Um, again, like I love how small you can feel the budget is, but what they did with it. And like, I, lo- I obviously love a wedding movie. Yeah. Um, two, two of my favorite movies of all time are <laughs> wedding comedies. Uh, drama, well, dramedy in this case, I guess. Drama maybe fully. But um, the other reason I love it and the reason I watched it so much is I worked at a video rental store for four years. Started in high school and then worked on it. Uh, moved to my college branch. And I got fired for t- checking out Rachel getting married without paying for it. And this was a this was a practice that most of the employees yeah. at Family Video were engaged in the entire four years that I worked there. No one said boo. No one gave a shit if you took out a dollar movie for a couple of days without telling anybody. But I was working with like this new kid who was very Christian and like ratted on me immediately. Oh, no. um, and then t- like texted me and was like, you put me in an, a horrible position when you did that in front of me. And I was like, okay, fucking loser. So I got fired for having this movie. And so for a while, it was like, again, one of the few DVDs that I had. And it was wow. just the source of like ire. And I was like, well, if I got, if I fucking lost my job of four years for this movie, I'm going to watch the shit out of this movie. And so <laughs> it was this movie that I had to return to just out of spite for a lot of yeah. years. Yeah, I would watch it. So great it was very special. Now. Yeah. It's a great film. What's the worst film you ever seen? That's tough because I... Like obviously, I've I've brought up like bad movies that um mm. I find enjoyable, and I I tend to so it's like for me a bad movie has to like say absolutely nothing and be <laughs> sort of um surface level and like I don't know like uh, movies that say nothing are sort of the answer to this. I'm trying to see now. Mm. This is where the lack of preparation yeah, is going to yeah. bite me in the ass because I could have had a really wonderful answer for this that wouldn't that would have pissed off nobody, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to think because like all of the quote unquote bad movies that I've seen recently were Oscar Beatty movies. And even those yeah. movies, like even like when you're just like sort of judging them based on like the pack of Oscar movies for that year are like still like even the ones that you're like, oh, this movie was so bad are is still like something that is like yeah pretty good. And I'm just like talking to cover as I think of a movie title that again, like this is the hardest one because like you don't like... The rest of the questions you're like, oh, like how do I seem cool and like chill and and like how do I construct this personality around my taste in movies? And now suddenly, <laughs> I'm like, who, who, how can I, how, what movie can I say that won't piss people off? Hmm. Can, I'm gonna you, say, oh, I go guess on. like for me, we re, we've revisited this movie recently, um, scary movie, the first one. Now, before uh, you get an up in arms. I okay. think the scary movie three is still holds up is such a yeah. funny movie. Uh, Regina Hall, all timer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like there's so much in the later part of that series that still holds up and is great. 
Scary Movie 1, it's not even like the woke mind virus has destroyed my brain or anything like that, but it's just not funny. It's just like, it is playing on sort of like the most surface level ideas of like stereotypes. It's not pushing anything. It is like stuff that I I heard other middle schoolers say Mm. and then doesn't really push beyond that. Yeah. Like it's like, oh, we hit a woman. Isn't that funny? Without Mm. commenting on like why... (laughs) hitting a woman yeah. might be funny or not funny. It is just like as sort of base as yeah. that. Like, oh, we this character is gay. Isn't that funny? Isn't it yeah. funny that this person is gay? And it just like doesn't, it doesn't ask you to think beyond those terms. And so in that way, I just like don't think it holds up uh, as uh, we really wanted it to hold up. I really wanted to like yeah. reclaim Scary Movie as like, and be sort of provocative about like, ooh, yeah, you thought I would want... you th- Cancel me, cancel me, because I love Scary Movie, the yeah. first one. But then you're like, but no, it was a dark time. It was a dark time for movies and like mm. a dark time for that specific kind of spoof movie. I'd say that's fair. I'd say that's very fair. Now, on the other hand, you're in comedy. You're very funny. What's the film that actually made you laugh the most? <laughs> I will say that the movie that has made me l- laugh the most is I uh, you know again like I I could have said what wet hot for this answer but I'm going to go with the one that made me laugh the most in the last couple of years which is uh Love Actually a horrendous film by almost every like almost everything about it is detestable and yet I cannot stop watching it every year like clockwork and just sitting there and the way it's like so abrasively bad but like you cannot help but laugh at it like it, like the way my boyfriend and I will sit and watch this movie and laugh at every terrible thing that happens in this movie. Not terrible thing that happens to the characters, but terrible thing the movie tries to do to mm-hmm. us. You know, it is just, it is so ridiculous. And like, you, how can you watch this movie and not remember that Kira Knightley was like 17 when she shot this movie and not want to laugh and just laugh at this fucking <laughs> stalker? You know, like, uh, yeah, it is the movie uh, it that recently made me laugh the most. It's just, it is outrageous. Okay. Hello, my neighbor Maureen. What's this I hear about you getting a promotion at the office? Didn't you just get promoted last month? It's all thanks to Canva. I've been nailing every meeting with AI-powered Canva presentations. Isn't that Canva's AI slide generator where you just describe your presentation in a few words and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides in seconds? That's right. And to top it off, I use MagicWrite, Canva's AI text generator, to perfect my points. Sounds brilliant, Maureen. No more copying and pasting from other programs. No more app switching. Can Canva Docs with MagicWrite generate any text you want for work? Yes. Sales proposals, marketing plans, yeah. Meeting agendas, ratings of all 12 Muppet movies using the extensive point system that I developed at age 12. Anyone can save time with Canva's AI-powered tools. Generate your draft fast with Canva Docs at canva.com, designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbor, Maureen. Yeah, thank you. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. 
Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. Okay, so look, here's the, th- here's the thing. You've been excellent. Uh, your answers have been unbelievably, I mean, unbelievably thoughtful and wise. And uh, oh. I don't for a second believe that you didn't give this any thought. And if you didn't, then you're <laughs> beyond a genius. It's been really brilliant. However, when you were in a carpool with four other people and your car got hit by another by a truck and you lay there in excruciating pain, dying very slowly, but you couldn't die until two of the other people died. They took ages to die. And then eventually, once they died, you very slowly, very painfully died. And I was walking past with a coffin, you know what I'm like. And I'm like, has anyone seen Joel Kim? Where, where is he? And they said, I think he's in that wreck. He was dying very slowly. And I went, slowly? Oh, God, oh, no, that must be awful. And he went, yeah, no, it was about four days. I was like, you just left him there for four days. You didn't even take him to hospital. And they're like, no, nah, it was such a mess. It just seemed like too much work. So we just sort of waited it out. And I was like, oh, fucking hell. Give us a hand then. So we're all sort of pulling bits of you out of this car, getting bits of metal, all sorts. Stuff it all in the coffin. There's more of you than I was expecting. What with all this fucking stuff? The coffin is absolutely jammed. It is rammed. There is only enough room to slip one DVD into the side for you to take across to the other side. And on the other side, it's movie night every night. What fucking movie are you taking to show the people? The druggies of heaven when it is your movie night. Mr. Joel Kim Booster. And and this ideally would be a movie that I haven't already brought up. It can be whatever you want. You're you're presenting this film. Because I obviously like I, I brought up, you know, showing people yeah. my best friend's wedding is that. So that yes. is like part of the answer. But um it for the sake of, of saying something a little different that still works, that is still yeah. honest, is um the Garden State DVD, but not the movie, just the making of featurette. Okay. That's what we'd watch every night. Um, the movie doesn't hold up that well. And it's certainly not as much as you'd like it to. If Especially, we're around the same age. I think like it was a pretty big deal movie yeah, uh, for a lot of people at the time. Um, but the feature at the, the making of featurette holds up really, really well. And I, again, it is another example of this movie. It's much longer than the Wet Hot one, but it is another example of, of a featurette really making me interested in, in the art of filmmaking and like the community around which movies are made and like that that co- the community that comes together to make a movie mm. and the solidarity and the 
just the the fun and the intricacies and like the the breadth and like scope of what goes into making a movie. You know, mm-hmm. like I think like that was a huge I watching that featurette in high school, I was like, wow, there are a lot of people, even on this little tiny indie movie, that work on this. It's not just the director and the actors and the writer, you know, and like understanding that I think is a really important part of of learning how to digest movies. And um, yeah, so I would want everybody in on that. So we would watch the featurette over and over again. That is that is a fucking great answer. Joe Kim Booster, is there anything you would like to tell people to look out for, to watch, to come see you in coming up? I am on a new show called Chrissy and Dave Dine Out that's on Freeform and then Hulu the next day that comes out uh, at the end of January, I think like the 24th, something like that. It's a quick five-episode little series where we eat at a lot of different restaurants around LA. Um, And then I am on the second season of Luke comes out in April uh, or somewhere around there. So keep your eyes peeled for that. That's coming. And then hopefully I'll learn a lot of other stuff soon. Go see his stand-up. Joking Booster, thank you so much for doing this. You've been absolutely brilliant. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful death and I will see you soon. Okay. Good day to you, sir. So that was episode 282. Remember to head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for all the extra stuff with Joel. Look up dates for my stand-up show if you want to come see me and you're in America. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I really hope you're all well. Thank you to Joel for giving me his time. Thank you to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Happy birthday, Buddy Peace. Thanks to iHeartMedia and Will Ferrell's Big Money Players Network for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Liz Lydon for the photography. Come and join me next week for another banging guest. But that is it for now. In the meantime, hope you all have a lovely week. And please, now more than ever, be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind. Sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Maureen, your Canva presentation looks brilliant. 
Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made by your neighbour Maureen. Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbour Maureen. Yeah, thank you.